Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 and we're going to again be studying this evening verse 15 of the chapter. We're taking today our last week of studies in Genesis 1 to 3. To think about these wonderful words in Genesis 3, 15. The first ever announcement of good news for sinful human beings. This morning we thought about these words under the theme, The Serpent Crusher is Coming. And this evening we're thinking about these words under the theme, The Serpent Crusher has Conquered. The Serpent Crusher has Conquered. Martin Luther, one of the great leaders of the Protestant Reformation in Europe, said that Genesis 3.15 was one of his favourite verses in the whole Bible. He said, This text embraces and contains within itself everything noble and glorious that is to be found anywhere else in the Scriptures. In other words, this verse has it all. This verse sums up the whole Bible. As I was saying this morning, the Bible is one great story, a true story, an awesome story. And that whole story is here in just three or four lines. We saw, first of all, this morning, how God planned our salvation. We looked at the opening statement of Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman. And we saw how God there is speaking to Satan, who had taken the form of a serpent. And Satan had managed to, to turn Eve, the woman, into his ally. She had trusted him. She had gone along with him. She had rebelled against God. But God now comes and says that he is going to change that. Eve is no longer going to be a friend of Satan. They are going to become enemies. God is going to fundamentally change the nature of Eve and her offspring. And we saw how ultimately that tells us about our salvation. That to be a Christian is to be someone who is born again. Who has been changed at the, in, our, in our very nature. The things we used to do, we don't want to do anymore. Things we used to never do become very important to us. Our sin bothers us. We, we hate it. We want to be rid of it. And all of that is because of what God does. He saves us, Paul says, not because of our works, but because of his grace and mercy. God speaks and sinners are changed. We become enemies of God's enemy, the devil. So we saw how God planned our salvation. And then we also saw this morning how Genesis 3.15 promises us our saviour. It promises us our saviour. God says that there will be Enmity not only between the serpent and the woman, but between, he says to the serpent, your offspring and her offspring. So this will be an ongoing conflict. And we saw how all through the Bible, Satan tries to destroy Eve's offspring time and time again. And yet ultimately this one serpent crusher does come, the Lord Jesus Christ, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those under the curse of the law. Paul says in Galatians chapter 4. Or John says it another way in 1 John 3 verse 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. To destroy the works of the devil. To crush his head. And so this evening we want to think about two more things that this verse shows us and talks about. Two more things about how Jesus, we want to see in particular how Jesus actually did this. How did Jesus crush Satan? What did it involve? What does it mean for us today? 
And so first of all, this evening, we want to think about our Saviour in conflict with the serpent. Our Saviour in conflict with the serpent. God promises the serpent here in Genesis 3.15, He will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. We need to understand that God is describing two things that happen in one event here. That event was ultimately the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus' conflict with the serpent began almost from the first moment of his life. I mentioned this morning how Satan targeted Christ even when he was just a newborn baby. And the Gospel of Matthew tells us how Mary and Joseph had to flee with their baby boy into Egypt because King Herod ordered the death of all baby boys in Bethlehem. And that was the serpent friends hissing in the ear of Herod, trying to destroy Jesus before he was even a grown man. It's one of the reasons why we continue to find the murder of unborn children so wicked today. It is nothing short of satanic to be targeting little babies for death. But just as Jesus, but as Jesus grew up and eventually began his earthly ministry of preaching and teaching and healing and doing miracles, we need to appreciate, friends, that he was in constant conflict with Satan. Constant conflict. Three of the four Gospels describe the temptations of Jesus at the very beginning of his Gospel ministry. We read them earlier in the, uh, the account that Luke gives us of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. And Satan comes to him and, for example, says, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. Why was Satan tempting Jesus in that way? Well, in many ways, he was tempting him in the same way that he tempted our first parents. He was tempting Jesus to, uh, to take for himself the authority of God, to take for himself whatever pleased himself, no matter what God may have said to him. And God, of course, had given Jesus a task and a mission while he was on the earth. And he wasn't there to serve himself. He wasn't on the earth to... To use his power to serve himself. Or to use his power to show off and gain a political following. He came to offer up his own life in the service of others. And right from the beginning of his ministry, Satan tries to convince Jesus to abandon the course that his Father in Heaven has laid out for him. To take the easy and self-serving route. And again, this continued all through Jesus' ministry. When crowds of people came to hear Jesus preach and see his miracles, they sometimes ended up wanting to make Jesus, uh, to take him away and make him a political king who would march on Jerusalem and overthrow the Romans and uh, establish a kingdom a bit like David's kingdom from centuries earlier. It would just wipe out all the nations round about. And John 6 verse 15, for example, tells us about such an occasion. And again, we need to, to understand that that was the serpent hissing in Jesus' ear. You don't need to go to the cross. Look at all these people who already love you and want to be part of your kingdom. Why bother with all the pain and suffering of the cross? Don't bother fighting with me. Don't go through the pain of my fangs sinking into your flesh. You have the people, you have the power. Take your throne now. Without the cross. 
You remember what Jesus said to one of his closest followers on one occasion. As he talked to his disciples and entrusted them with the the information that he would die on the cross. Matthew 16 verse 22 says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. It's not that Peter was uh, possessed by Satan as such, but Satan was preying upon Peter's misunderstanding of Jesus. And indeed his concern for Jesus. And through Peter, Satan was tempting Jesus to ignore the cross. Satan knew what it could possibly mean if Jesus, the righteous one, died on the cross for unrighteous sinners. And yet the strange thing is that Satan seems to have changed his tactics uh, towards the end. Having tried to get Jesus to not go to the cross for so long... We actually read in Luke 22 verse 3 that Satan entered Judas. Satan entered Judas. And Satan uses the greed and the dishonesty of Judas to betray Jesus into the hands of his enemies. And eventually later that night they come and find him and lead him off and sentence him to death. And when they come to arrest Jesus, what does Jesus say to them? Luke chapter 22, verse 53. This is your hour and the power of darkness. This is Satan's moment, Jesus says. This is as close to a victory as Satan is going to get. And so Satan seems to have been in two minds. Should I let Jesus get to the cross or not? Would it be better for me for him to die or to live? And even while Jesus was dying on the cross, Satan had one last swipe at him. This was the moment, friends, as Jesus was dying on the cross, this was the moment when Satan realized at last, too late, that if Jesus died, the righteous one for unrighteous people, it would be defeat for Satan. This was the moment that Satan saw, too late, the foot of the woman's offspring about to come crashing down on his head. And the serpent lashes out and bites that foot and sinks his fangs in as hard as he can. How did he do that? Luke 23 verse 35, we read it earlier. The rulers scoffed at him saying, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. Hiss. Luke 23 verse 37. If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Hiss. Luke 23 verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged reeled at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Hiss. This was the fight. This was the great war. That Jesus had to win. He had to endure that mocking. He had to resist that temptation. To, oh, I'll show him. I will come down from the cross. He knew that to save his people. He had to suffer. Not just the physical pain of the cross. But the, 
torment and the, the temptations of Satan. And worse even than that, friends, Jesus had to suffer the wrath of God upon him as the one bearing our sin. Jesus was put to death via crucifixion, of course, a horrendously painful way to die, physically speaking. But worse than the physical pain, friends, was the spiritual torment that Jesus went through on the cross. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, He who knew no sin became sin for us. Jesus in that moment became the object of the wrath of God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? On the cross, Martin Luther says, a great exchange took place. Jesus, perfect without any sin of his own, took the punishment that our sin deserved and had all the anger and wrath of his Father poured out entirely upon him. Isaiah 53 verse 5, He was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace with his wounds. We are healed. And so friends, the cross was Satan bruising Jesus. And yet in doing so, Satan was powerless to stop Jesus securing our salvation. And in dying on the cross and then rising three days later, friends, Jesus has dealt the fatal blow upon Satan. As I said this morning, it's far worse to have a bruised head than to have a bruised heel. As painful as it is, your heel is a very sensitive part of the body. It can be very painful if something goes wrong with it. But you'd far rather have your heel bruised than your head. Uh, the word in the original here for bruised, it means to compress violently, to, to press down, causing severe pain. And that's what Jesus has done to Satan. He has endured the cross. He has despised the shame. He has conquered the serpent. He has suffered so that we can be saved. Mentioned this morning some of the most popular stories of our culture. Uh, Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter. Uh, maybe in terms of movies, some of you, uh, maybe boys and girls, or maybe some of the adults as well, like the Star Wars movies or some of the plethora of superhero movies there are these days. What do all these stories have in common? They all involve beloved heroes sacrificing themselves, sometimes even giving their lives so that others can be saved. And so all those stories, friends, that they're little echoes for us of the one great story, and they all pale in comparison to the suffering and sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here's something to reflect on in the incoming week as we prepare to come to the Lord's table next Lord's Day. Look what it cost our Saviour for us to be saved. Look what it cost the sinless Son of God for you to be freed from the judgment that your sins deserved. When you're tempted into some sin or other this week, when the serpent hisses at you, just consider, how can I sin against a Savior who loved me this much? Why would I want to, as it were, add anything more to the pain that he endured at Calvary? And when you feel like an outcast this week, 
or in the future, an outcast in your staff room or your classroom or your office, because you're not celebrating Pride Month, an outcast from your friends because you're not sharing the kinds of photos or videos that they are on social media. Remember that Jesus was cast out, shoved all the way onto a cross with nails through his hands and his feet. A laughing stock, one from whom men hide their faces, all so that you can be welcomed into heaven someday. And when you feel like your life has little or no significance, maybe you think compared to her, compared to him, I'm really not that impressive. What gifts do I really have? Who's taking any notice of my life? Is there really any point in me being here at all? Just remember, God planned and chose before you were even born to save you from your sin, to crush the head of your enemy, and in doing so to endure the pain and suffering and temptation, the like of which we can't even imagine. Even as he hung on the cross, Satan tempted Jesus to come down. But it is Jesus who has emerged victorious on our behalf, who has taken away our sin, and who has provided for us everlasting life. What a saviour, friends. What a saviour. Our saviour's conflict with the serpent. Secondly, and finally this evening, our own conflict with the serpent. Our own conflict with the serpent. Jesus has won the decisive battle with Satan, but as I'm sure you've heard from other preachers in the past, the war is not over. D Day in World War II came in June 1944, the most decisive battle in, in the war in Europe, but victory in Europe Day was not announced until 1945, almost a year later. And as Christians, in our ongoing war with the serpent, we're living, as it were, between D Day. And VE Day. The war is won. The skirmishes continue. And God said to the serpent in Genesis 3.15. That he would put enmity between the serpent's offspring. And the offspring of Eve. And as we've seen that enmity culminated in the conflict between Jesus and Satan. But that conflict has also gone on all through history. Between Jesus' people and the serpent. Satan hates us. Just as much as he hates Jesus. And whilst Jesus has struck that decisive blow against Satan. We need to live each day friends on guard against the serpent rearing his head at us day in and day out. Satan will prey on those remaining sinful desires within us. Those desires that are clinging on even if we are Christians. James 1.14 says we are lured and enticed by our own desires. Satan knows how to entice us just as he enticed the woman in the beginning. John Owen famously wrote, Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. There are lingering sins in all of our hearts. Anger, impatience, laziness, lust, cowardice, selfishness, whatever it may be. And day by day, friends, we need to pray for God's help to bruise those sins, to crush those sins, those serpents, as it were, under our feet as he comes for us and tempts us. Satan is also, of course, still doing what he did. Uh, I mentioned this morning people like Pharaoh and Herod 
And uh, you think of other people in scripture like King Saul. People who violently attacked and even tried to wipe out the offspring of the woman. And Satan is still doing that in the world today. He's tempting unbelievers into violently lashing out against God's people. You remember what Jesus said to Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. Why are you persecuting me? We are the body of Christ and Satan is still trying to destroy that body. All across the world today the church is suffering. In most parts of the world today the church is being persecuted to some degree or other. North Korea, China, Afghanistan, Somalia. Countries where the very government policy, the very figures leading the nation. They're agents of Satan. Some of them may well be possessed by Satan. It's no no exaggeration to say that when you look at what happens in places like Somalia and North Korea. Satan is hissing in the ears of those leaders. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, says Paul, but against the rulers, the authorities, the spiritual powers at work in our world. Satan is hissing away also in the ears of some of the political leaders, the the movers and shakers, even in our own culture, in our own society, friends. It's why, incredibly, in this year of pandemic, when you would think that there that some of these things I'm about to mention will be the last things that anybody should be thinking about. We've still seen in the past year attacks on the preciousness of life, whether it's in the womb or at the end of life. Just last week I heard uh, Jerry Carroll from the People Before Profit Party pushing for uh, so-called, what is it they're calling it now, dignity in dying, assisted dying legislation to be brought into Northern Ireland. Public funding being demanded for that. And even in a year of pandemic and emergency, none of those things have gone away. Satan is hissing in the ears of people in our own nation who make these big decisions. Because of our ongoing conflict with Satan as well, friends, we need to continue to pray for courage to share the gospel. Not only will Satan tempt us not to do it out of cowardice or complacency but he will oppose us when we do have the courage to do it we thought about this as we looked at the letters that jesus wrote in revelation remember to the church in philadelphia jesus says behold i have set before you an open door to proclaim the gospel but as well as that he said there is a synagogue of satan who will be trying to oppose you we need to pray for courage to proclaim the gospel We need to appreciate that every time we speak about Jesus Christ, whether to each other, to our children, to friends, family, neighbours who are not believers, it's an act of war against the gates of hell. And Satan will not take it lying down. Parents, our ongoing conflict with Satan is why we, we need to pray with and for our children. Bringing them up in the ways of the Lord. Talking to them about what they're hearing and seeing in our world. The devil will not wait until your children are older before he preys upon them. Just as as soon as Adam and Eve were married. As soon as the first family unit was formed in human history. That was when Satan attacked. Children are a blessing from the Lord. But children have been born in a spiritual war zone. 
Children born in the 1930s would have had their parents explain why there were blackouts and curfews, why children from the town had to be evacuated into the countryside, why young men were off giving their lives on the front lines. And similarly, we need to train up our children to understand the war zone that we are living in. And we might not necessarily choose to expose them to the worst things of this world, but we need to prepare them for the worst things of this world and to do battle with the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith against our great enemy. I will put enmity, God says, between her offspring and your offspring. And that includes us this day, friends. We are at war. The war is won, but the fight against the serpent goes on. And yet what a blessing to know that the victory is won. What great motivation it should give us to know that we are on the winning side. Those stories that I've been mentioning today. Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, whatever your favourite is. I wonder have you read your favourite books dozens of times? Have you watched your favourite movies several times? Some people enjoy doing that. When you read a story a second or a third time, it's still enjoyable, but some of the tension is gone. You can relax more than you did the first time because you know how it's going to end. You know who's going to win. And though we have to continue to fight against our enemy, we know what's going to happen to our enemy. Not only has Jesus dealt the decisive blow against him on the cross, but listen to the words of Paul in Romans 16 verse 20. Romans 16 verse 20, Paul says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Romans 16 verse 20, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Unmistakably there, friends, Paul has Genesis 3.15 in mind. This energy-sapping, demanding, exhausting, daily fight that we have with Satan It's not going to last forever. The decisive blow has been won. The war will soon be over. We read earlier in Revelation 20 what's going to happen to the devil. The devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Why does Satan hate us so much? Because he knows he's beaten he knows it's, he's known it since God first announced this in Genesis 3.15. He's known it since Jesus shouted out, it is finished, as he died on the cross. He's known it since he watched horrified as Jesus walked out of his tomb on that first Lord's Day morning. He hates us because Christ has saved us and delivered victory for us. And friends, Jesus will soon crush Satan under our feet completely. His head will not just be battered, his head will be pulverized. The day will soon come when we reign with and rule with Christ. And Satan is banished and destroyed. Matthew Henry says, The devil's perpetual overthrow will be the great and lasting joy and glory Of the chosen remnant. In other words he's saying. We will celebrate our victory over Satan. Forever. For the rest of our lives. Eternal life in heaven. Will just be one big victory party. And parade. 
And so are you living each day, friends, with the end of the story in mind? When you know the end of the story, it takes away some of the tension. Some of the tension and burden of life in a painful, tense, tragic world. Where else is that tension going to be relieved? Vaccines won't do it. Entertainment won't do it. Wealth won't do it. We need something far greater. Someone far better. Does none of what I've said ring true in your mind and heart today? That there really is good and evil in our world? That the world really isn't what it should be? That there really is a war going on and that you need to know which side you're on. If you're a Christian today, you are more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ who has loved you and given himself for you. And whilst our daily lives remain a struggle against our ongoing temptations, against those who would oppose us and even persecute us, against the Compromise and complacency that we're tempted to fall into. Take heart today, dear friend. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Amen.